Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast with John and Hannah. Hi. And today we're going to be looking at, as chosen in our Twitter poll, the Needle Man from the classic AD&D first edition Fiend Folio. But before we kick into the intro and then get on with that, just to let you know that we recently put up a Twitter poll asking people what they'd like to see more of in the podcast in the future. And the overwhelming majority of people voted for a mixture of GM slash player advice and gaming stories and recaps. Just to let you know, we have seen the results of that and we are listening to that. And thank you to everyone who voted. We're going to have a little think about that and then we might sort of tweak the format or like introduce new types of episodes based on that. But for now, let's get on and talk about The Needleman. Cue the music. So, as I said before the intro, we're going to be taking a bit of a dive into The Needleman, as requested in our Twitter poll. And as ever, we are starting with the classic AD&D first edition Fiend Folio, the one with a big GIF Yankee on the cover. So, love, what does it say about the Needleman in the AD&D Fiend Folio? So, first thing about this, it's got a quite nice line art drawing of this sort of zombie with like all these sort of thorny spikes it almost looks sort of punk yeah i suppose with the sort of little <laughs> weird mohican it does it does have a bit of that sort of vibe to it yeah uh, it says that it's a plant life creature rather than being an animal or an undead but it looks most like a zombie okay it's covered in small sharp pine needles which it can spit out one to six of these each round inflicting one to two hit points doesn't sound like a lot but every round that's going to build up up to six hit points well up to six of them i think as well it depends on whether that's its only attack I mean, it, it looks like it based on the number of attacks and the damage per attack that's listed. Mm-hmm. However, if you've got something that's like flailing away with its arms in a more traditional zombie style and is also spitting out like D6 of these, it's slowly going to be whittling you away as it's like attacking mm-hmm. you in other means. So they're particularly vulnerable to magic. Uh, attacks do triple normal damage. Non-offensive spells also triple against it as appropriate, but certain spells obviously do not affect plants and therefore it's immune to them. Uh, It says that they hate elves and will attack them on sight and that they're particularly good at hiding in the undergrowth and can achieve surprise 75% of the time. I like the fact that it specifically says when amidst conifers or heavy undergrowth. (laughs) So, you know, like if, if you see like a field of Christmas trees, you know, better watch out in case there's a needleman about. Mm-hmm. So what, what we're basically saying there, love, is it's a fairly it's a fairly standard sort of low-level-ish monster that doesn't have a lot to it, but it's got a couple of interesting little bits. It's got the camouflage, and it can fire the needles out. Mm-hmm. And, of course, obviously it's a plant, which makes it a bit different. Now... I know that um, this was next featured in the 
D&D 3.5 Monster Manual 2, where, if I recall correctly, they sort of changed it a fair bit. It looks very different. It looks like a praying mantis now, with sort of these, like, um, thistle blossom bits for its torso and weird chicken feet. It's really quite strange. Yeah, and I mean, I can see straight away from the title they've renamed them Needle Folk. Mm-hmm. It's still a plant creature. Yeah. It talks now about the fact that they still need nutrients, water, that they're taking through their mouth because they don't have roots. Makes sense. Um, most of the time they're slow and stately, but if they're in danger they can be nearly as quick and agile as a human. One thing I, I would ask, I don't know if you've seen it in there, is... Uh, in as you say, in the original they looked quite humanoid, which were spikes on. Whereas mm-hmm. they look sort of more bestial and like this praying mantis, half praying mantis, mm-hmm. half sort of cactus vibe they've got going on now. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that we were talking about uh, whether it had any other attacks besides the bristles, and it's definitely got sort of fairly fearsome looking claws on the uh, the artwork. Yeah, if I skip over to the combat bit, we've got. Two ranged attacks and two claw attacks at plus three melee. The needles, obviously, are the ranged attacks. Um, so I'm just it, looking for the detail on that. So it seems to me that what they've done is they've replaced the random number of attacks with, like, oh, mm-hmm. you just get a couple of attacks, but they've added in a couple of claw attacks as well. Yeah, so instead of one to six needles hitting, uh, it's a cluster of needles... And it's an area effect, 20 feet, maximum range, 200 feet. Oh, is it an area effect? No, it's a cluster. Uh, Deal 1d12 plus 1 points of damage, or they all miss. So it's effectively a single attack. Right, okay. 1d12 plus 1 that can go up to 200 feet. So that basically sounds to me like they've probably done that for, like, simplification purposes. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, if you roll a six with like the first edition needle folk, and it's hitting different people, and you've got to roll what your d two or whatever, <laughs> you know, your coin. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> a bit complicated, yeah. doesn't it? Whereas I know, sort of, in three point five, heading on into fourth edition, they, there was really a move to sort of like streamline things in combat and make them sort of like as easy as they could. So I, I, I can see the benefits of that. T- to be honest. Although I've got to admit, personally, I, I do like a bit of randomization in my d and I mean, that sort mm-hmm. of quirky, like, first edition needle, man. It's that sort of quirky, like, off-the-wall, like, slightly humorous monster that I really love in D&D. Whereas the, the needle folk just seems more like a slightly bizarre, but sort of more generic monster, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So, other stuff that's in here... They still hate the elves. Yeah. Even more so now, it's not just they'll attack them when they see them. They'll actually stalk them for a while if they think the odds are against them. Uh, get other needle folk in on the action. And I believe as well, if I remember correctly, that rather than just the 75% undetectable in here, they just get like a hefty plus 16 to their hide skill mm-hmm. when they're hiding in forests, because as we all know, D&D 3.5 is the D&D skill version. And that's still a plus 8 when it's moving at up to half speed. 
Yeah. Whereas normally with Hyde, you have to stay still. Yeah, so I mean, that's I, still pretty dirty. Oh, yeah. And I mean, obviously, as we know, so that in version 3 and 3.5, there was a big move to consolidate everything around a central core mechanic, you know, roll a d20, add a modifier, beat this difficulty number, you have succeeded. And the skill system was a big part of that. So rather than writing a separate rule saying, oh, you know, 75% cover and having like a percentile chance like they did in first edition because they didn't have like a skill system as such. Mm-hmm. They just folded all that into giving it a massive hide bonus in the skill system that was in three point five, which sort of makes sense. Oh yeah, I mean if you if you try to make a game where everything refers back to a sort of central mechanic, which I can see the advantages of, it does make sense to say, well, why have a separate rule for their stealth? Just give when we've already got a hide skill, just give them like a massive bonus when they're in a forest. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that 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 tracks. So they've also still got uh, the plant immunity to certain types of magic, which is specifically sleep, paralysis, stunning and polymorphing. Yeah. yeah. It says they're not subject to critical hits or mind-affecting effects. No, because effectively they don't have a biological brain and they don't have biological internal organs that you can, like, critical hit or whatever but they're no longer vulnerable to other magic Mm. so that seems to me like they're quite a lot tougher than they were previously again i wonder how much that's down to like simplification Mm. because in the fiend folio it had that thing you know it gives you three times the effect if you cast magic on it Mm. which for a damage spell easy roll your damage times three however it then goes on to say oh other spells that aren't damaging should have three times the effect. Now, I'm sure in some cases that's quite easy to judge, but in others, maybe not so much. So I could see why they might have thought, oh, do you know what, we'll just do away with that, and it'll make it a lot simpler to use. So I can see you've got the 5th uh, edition book, is it there? Yeah, 5th edition Monster Manual. And they've changed the name again. Yeah, it's, it's a strange thing. I don't think in these monster episodes we've ever looked at a creature that has been... that is sort of like a, a niche creature that's been like changed so much. But it sort of makes sense to me because obviously if you've got like an iconic creature like a Beholder or something like that or like um, a Mind Flayer or a Vampire or anything iconic like that, I suppose you, as a game company you're, like, you're limited in how much you can change it. Because mm-hmm. let's say... Let's say they released like a new edition of D and D, uh, and the beholders were suddenly like six foot tall humanoids who have like mm-hmm. eyes on their fingers. People would go like mental. They'd be like, no, these aren't beholders. Whereas if it's something like niche, that like probably a lot of people don't even know about, like a, like a needle man, then you've got more sort of room to manoeuvre, haven't you? Really, because no one's going to be up in arms saying, "Oh, you've changed the needle man. I can't believe it." So. The first and the second one, in yeah. spite of them being quite different visually, if you look at the description, you can still see how they've both come from this same description of it being this vaguely humanoid shape. Yeah. Because even though the third edition ones looks a lot more prey mantis than human... It's still humanoid. It's still, you know, two arms, two legs. Yeah. Um, you could 
sort of almost imagine that someone was given the description from the Fiend folio, but not allowed to look at the picture before they did the artwork for the third Ed one. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, it, it's this creature that's got all these like planty spikes on it. And yeah. It's sort of, whereas this one, I don't really know how they've got to it because it looks really sort of rooty and. Right. Okay. Well, the in the um the fifth edition monster manual there's actually three different types of what they call blights right. which are these plant-like humanoids there's needle blights which are obviously like the needle man as was mm-hmm. twig blights and vine blights now the one you're looking um, at which looks like it's made of more roots is the vine blight it's got a bit of a sort of swamp thing vibe to it you can see the needle man there Mm. Now it looks more humanoid in this, with just like the odd few spikes sort of around the shoulders and the head and whatever. Then you've got the twig blight, which is like a, a mini group by any other name. Mm-hmm. And they've they've also, as well as sort of adding in these different types, they've also given them like a completely different background because they didn't like really have any background before. They were no, just, like, just oh, we plant. Yeah, we're, we're like bizarre fantasy magical plant creatures. Mm-hmm. Now, in this, it describes all types of blights as being awakened plants gifted with the power of intelligence and mobility. They plague the land contaminated by darkness. They absorb evil from the soil and attempt to carry out the will of an ancient evil. And to put it very simply, it describes um, these creatures as coming from the roots of the Gulthius tree, which is effectively a tree that grew from a staked vampire's corpse and as the tree grew it like absorbed the vampire's evil and like some of his personality into it and the seeds and the pine needles and all of that sort of stuff that came off the Gulthius tree are what made these blights and because they had like a little portion of the, the vampire's evil in them that had corrupted them they go about trying to spread this corruption like turning your lovely mystical elven forests into like your dark murk woods and stuff like that and it gives you a bit of guidance in here saying wherever a tree or a plant is contaminated by a fragment of evil, a Gulthius tree can rise to infect and corrupt the surrounding woodlands. And blights are sort of like part of that. Um, they're independent creatures, but they act under a Gulthius tree's control, often displaying the habits and traits of the life force or spirits that spawned them. And if we go on, to, we're not going to look at all the blights here, but they're very much... So similar to the needle man plant-based humanoids uh, the needle blight which is what we're concerned with here uh, they're described as looking more human in this so saying they're easily mistaken at a sort of a, a bit of a distance as a normal human up close they have like clumps of conifer-like needles growing around them mm-hmm. so not all over them in this case just like in certain places they lash out with these needles or launch them as an aerial assault one interesting thing here which is like a a neat little addition Mm -hmm. when they detect a threat they let loose this like almost imperceptible pollen which the wind carries around and it alerts other needle blights in the area to like come and give them a hand which makes sense when you think about it you know like plants sending out signals and pollen Mm. and stuff like that but it's a nice little extra touch in fifth edition that i quite like now there's not a great deal more background on them uh, twig blights are sort of like woody shrubs and vine blights are masses of slithering creepers in a rough humanoid shape so they're all pretty much the same thing just keyed for like different types of plant growth basically so if you've got a swamp it's probably a vine blight 
you're up in the north in the cold waste it's, it's probably a needle blight so if we look at the stats uh, they're fairly sort of low level creatures they've got a little bit of natural armor they're immune to being blinded or deafened they've got blind sight out to 60 feet so they don't need to see but they can't see anything beyond that uh, they can't speak they've got claws as per previous and they can do a, rate, a single ranged attack which shoots out a clump of needles and they're like they're worth 50 xp they've got like a quarter challenge rating so they're fairly low level the, the twig blights and the vine blights are fairly similar Sl slight differences in the powers twig blights can remain motionless and they just look like a dead shrub vine blights can like constrict and entangle people because of like the ropey vines but that's about it for fifth ed to be honest so can we think of any way to use the needleman in game i don't know if you remember watching a movie called splinter yes with the um with the strange like um power needle things that jab people and made them all like parasitic needle yeah, creature. yeah so what i would do is i would take the sort of vague premise of that film and use these creatures in combination with some sort of supernatural disease your players are trapped somewhere there's some of these creatures they send off the needles some people get stabbed with these needles Ooh, gribbly disease ensues. Perhaps it's going to turn people into these creatures. Perhaps it's going to do something else. And for anyone who's not seen Splinter, very roughly the story is based around like effectively like a, a, an out of space like sort of plant or fungus or bacteria. I'm not sure which, which manifests these like black spikes. If it it pricks your skin or it gets into your blood, it can it infect you eventually you'll die and then it can reanimate your body to use you mm -hmm. to go and seek out other warm-blooded animals people etc and infect them so it's a bit of a riff on the zombie i think the reason that i'm thinking of that particular film is because it's got that whole sort of sharp i don't quite know how to put this fear of sharp things fear of needles factor to it which is obviously what this creature's trying to riff on. Yeah. Whereas, like, if your audience was more scared of, like, snakes and stuff, the vine one would be better to go for. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I, th I think it's that... Obviously, a sort of sharp-pointed, like, object tends to convey, like, hostility or danger, doesn't it? I mean, there's that... Um, there's that experiment they mention on QI where they show people two shapes and one's like a jagged spiky thing and one's like a blobby thing. Kiki and Mau Mau. Yeah, and they're saying that like, they, they, they tell them what the names are but not which one applies to which. And most people say that like, Kiki is the spiky one and Mau Mau is the, the blobby one. And yeah, there's something, when you see sort of like something sharp and jagged like that um, with spikes, we know animals are trying to defend themselves with spikes. Mm -hmm. We know it's dangerous, and especially like when they come shooting out as well. There's that element of surprise, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You don't expect things to be like shooting their own spikes off. Although possibly we do a bit now because we've seen like fantasy and stuff like that. But it, it's still a sort of a bit of a shocker, especially in 
this situation where like the one of the things I find like quite sort of unnerving about these needlemen is they're not really they don't really have very understandable motivations. I'm probably not explaining this right, but it let's say let's say a load of orcs attack your village because they want to like steal your goods. You might not like it, you probably don't, and it's horrible, but you understand the motivations. They want what you've got and they're gonna have it. Whereas the needleman it seems to imply that it can subsist quite happily on like sunlight, water, stuff like that. So it doesn't need anything you've got. It just attacks you because you're there. Mm-hmm. And normally I would say, well, maybe it's a defense thing. But the fact that like most of it specifically mentions, oh, they hate elves. They'll go out of their way to attack elves. Suggests that they've got at least some emotions because you can't hate if you are just a pure plant without emotions. True. So there's obviously something going on, but the, the way I'd try and play it if I was using them in a game is to like keep them very alien, sort of incomprehensible, because they may have some intelligence, but it's the intelligence of like plants, which would be... Obviously, we don't know, but I would assume it would be entirely different from that of uh, an animal. Mm. So... And, and it's very difficult as a GM to sort of get into the mind space of something that has an entirely sort of alien worldview. But you can sort of fake it till you make it, if you like, by sort of keeping their actions a little bit incomprehensible and a little bit sort of random and stuff like that. So just for instance, let's say you're wandering through the forest and you come across three of these needlemen and they're all crouched down with their sort of like touching their foreheads together on the floor... As you approach, they rise and attack. Normal combat ensues. But you might... And you don't mention anything about like why there were three of them with their foreheads touching together. There's a little bit of a mystery there. Because obviously they were doing it for some reason. They weren't, they weren't just randomly doing it. But as a GM, you don't really have to come up with what that reason is. Because certainly in the case of Needleman, who can't communicate with most people, you're never going to have to explain that. But giving the sort of illusion that there's there's some sort of intelligence behind it can make them seem both intelligent and strange at the same time. Although I suppose as well in D D you've sort of you've probably got druids and the like who can like get spells that communicate with plants or allow mm. them to communicate with plants. So it's another potential interesting because I mean if you did want to go into like needle folk society and like sort of plant people society if you've got a druid or someone like that who's got those spells, you could develop that, but that's if you want to. You don't really have to delve into that. But I think you could do a really interesting sort of campaign if you had... Um, we've talked about sort of faction play before, and we've talked about mm. bullywogs and um, lizardmen and stuff like that. I think you could do a really interesting game if perhaps you had like a community of elves in like your, sort of like your big old forest, and perhaps... Perhaps these needlemen, like seed pods or something like that. You're like invasive plant species. Mm-hmm. Like how like tumbleweeds become a massive problem in certain parts of America. Mm-hmm. Like perhaps there were a few seeds that sort of drifted in, like these needlemen grew up out of them. And now, and at first the owls were like, oh, well, you know, just a few plants, bit of a pest. For that matter, perhaps someone who's got a problem with the town planted a few seeds. Yeah. And, and but but now they've, they've taken. I was going to say taken root. They don't take root, but once they've come to spore, yeah, it says that 
they just spread their spores and then you've got a hundred needlemen in one grove. Well, well, that's it. Perhaps the elves in the forest have, uh, have sort of ignored it or they've just sort of like, they've burnt the ones they've found and gone, oh, well, never mind. That's like mm-hmm. power win. But then, like you say, they've now got to the point where they're starting to become a real problem, especially because, and I, and I picked elves because needlemen hate elves, they attack them on sight. Mm-hmm. So maybe the elves are like getting sick of every time they walk down one of their ancient forest paths or whatever, there's like needlemen jumping out all over the place and just like randomly attacking them. So it's also a good reason for bringing in non-elf adventurers because maybe they're like, we'll hire some people who aren't of our kind because low risk for us and also because the needlemen probably won't attack them as much. You could also have it that the elves are a minority community in whatever town you're trying to defend. Yeah. And then you've got this option there for the player characters of, oh, you could just round up all the elves and give them to the needlemen. But then what happens next? Yes. That could make for a really interesting story if you've got the right group for it. I also quite like the idea you mentioned that possibly these these needlemen have become a problem for the town because we know they attack elves on site, but they'll also attack other people as well. So I've got this image of a scene in my mind. You know that... Uh, I forget which one it's in, but one of the Pirates of the Caribbean film, one of Johnny Depp's running away from all the natives and they're all chasing after him and he's he's bombing on his own. That about, tr- trust me, it's in there. Uh, I'm imagining that like, if you're in a town, perhaps they like pay an elf like an awful lot of money and they're like, just go down this like forest path and when you hear like a rustling, come running back to the town and they effectively use the elf as like bait. Yeah, that could be a way to get like an adventuring party in on it as well if they've got an elf with them. Because now you could play this one of two ways. Perhaps the, the elf knows all the dangers and they're willing to do it because they get paid like a really good wage for it. You know, it's danger money. But also, you could have it as it's an unscrupulous town. When like someone comes along, if they see like a visiting elf, they're like, oh yeah, we need you to go and fetch some like random thing for us from the forest and then bring it back here. We'll pay you some money when you get back. Because they're like, oh, if the elf dies on the way there, it's not one of us, and we don't have to pay him. And if he does get back, we'll just pay him, and we'll be waiting with the torches and whatever to like kill the needle folk when they get back. Or, for another alternative, maybe it's all part of some bizarre sort of uh, ritual. Mm-hmm. You know, we often talk about sort of like pagan like rituals and sort of blood rituals and stuff like that. What if? some sort of like dark accord has been reached with like the needle folk and every spring or whatever they send they send someone on like a stranger on their own out down this old forest path needlemen get them when they're there mm-hmm. another good way to bring the adventurers in exactly yeah what if um, the adventurers could be brought in maybe someone like Heisen was like oh I was supposed to be meeting my brother he said he was going to like visit this town Mm. Like um, he was going to see their like harvest festival or whatever, and then he never came. Or their planting festival or whatever, and he never came back. See, it doesn't specific. I mean, we're sort of expanding on it a bit here. It doesn't specifically say it, but I like to think if uh, if we we're going with this whole sort of like Wicker Man esque, uh, like sort of oh they've reached some deal with the plants and they're providing with sacrifices. What if this town was like starving, like that all the crops had failed or whatever. And it doesn't specifically say it, but what if, like, needlemen at certain points of the year get fruit on them? 
I think actually it might mention that they do in the second Ed one, but would the Needlemen want the humans eating their fruit? Would they be willing to trade their fruit? Thing is, what, what you've got to think of, what's the, what's the main aim of fruit for a plant? It's to spread the seeds, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because an animal comes along, eats the fruit, poops it out, the seed's in the poop, and it's got ready-made fertiliser to grow up. Well, that could work equally as well with humans. I mean, there's prob- if you're in a village, there's probably not going to be plumbing or sewers or anything like that. So perhaps the needle folk are like, oh yeah, get all these humans to eat our fruit, they're all going to poop out the seeds and then they'll mow needle folk next year. And if the people are starving, then the needle folk come up and say, oh, you know, get- well, obviously they can't say it, but the needle folk, because they can't talk, but the needle folk come up, they give them some of these fruits, perhaps that's why the villagers take to like, making these sacrifices to the needle folk. They're like, oh, if we keep making these sacrifices every spring or whatever, they'll turn up and give us these fruits and we'll have plenty to eat. So, they're reproduced by seeds, uh, which each needle folk produces in the autumn. The seed pods are brown and covered in spiny thorns because they fall close to the parent plant. Groves of needle folk tend to spring up wherever one has chosen to spend a season. Now, so there's a lot of space there in what qualifies as a seed pod and yeah, whether yeah. the seed within the seed pod would still be viable after you've eaten the seed pod, whether the seed pod would still be edible after the seed has sprouted from it. i tell you what it puts me in mind on, it's purely because of that description you've read there. I can't help but think of like coffee beans... You know, you mm-hmm. get you get them in like the shell, and they have to like take the bean out, and then they come into a drink. Oh. <laughs> when it says uh, all spiky, I was thinking more of conkers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which for our American listeners is a What's kind chestnuts? of chestnut that grows in Britain, which is part of a traditional British kids' game. And which indeed, I'm sure you can find plenty of images uh, any, of on YouTube. As any schoolboy knows, the only good use for them is to put a hole through the middle of them put some string through them and then smash them against the conquer of another person until only one remains the victor. But yeah, I, I quite like the idea that, um, you know, there was that craze for like that civet coffee where it was like the um, like the civet yeah. sort of like at the coffee beans, then it like pooped out the bean and like the scent glands like flavoured it and they cleaned it up and made coffee out of it. I quite like the idea of some like idle noblemen like paying a shed load of dew poop to to like have some like needleman coffee, like made out of like needleman seeds. Mm. And if you just wanted like a, a slightly humorous sort of adventure, someone's gotta go out and harvest them for him. Mm. So <laughs> what, can you imagine being sent on like a dangerous quest and then find to like retrieve these seeds and like maybe you're not told why you just assume it's for something important. Then you find out afterwards it's just because some Belland wants to get his like cup of coffee on. Yeah, that could be quite fun. Yeah. There we go. That's been our episode on Needle Folk. We hope you've enjoyed it and it's given you some ideas. If you want to send us some suggestions for future episodes or you want to comment on this or any other one that we've put up, you can leave us a voicemail message using SpeakPipe. There's a link in the description below. Or you can get in touch with us by sending us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe and keep gaming. 
Bye! You're up in the north in the cold waste. It's, it's probably a... Uh, whatever these guys are called. Needle blight. A needle blight. That's right. This will go in the edit. It's probably a needle blight.